What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 94 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, needless to say, 2020 has presented many, many leadership challenges, but here's what I know about leaders. They always rise to the challenge. Leaders don't always come dressed the same way. They don't always look the same way. In fact, they don't always act the same way. Do you know what leaders do? Leaders lead. And when you meet one, you know you've met one. Today in our episode, we get to sit down with Jesse Bradley. Jesse's a graduate of Dartmouth College. That's where his curiosity about faith in Jesus began. But Jesse went on to not only get his master's degree in theology from Dallas Theological, he was a former professional soccer goalkeeper, played in Zimbabwe, Aberdeen, Scotland, and in Minnesota. He's a radio host. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a pastor. And what Jesse loves are conversations about life, faith, and leadership. And he is absolutely fascinating. Today is going to be a good one. And today is going to be one that will be challenging, thought-provoking, and it'll push you in some areas. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Pastor Jesse Bradley. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for joining us on Lynch with a Leader. It's an honor to have you, buddy. Mike, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, you got an outstanding podcast and I'm honored to be here and have some conversation with you about the most important stuff in our lives. That's exactly right. I love your story and I want to go back and capture a lot of your story, but I want to start sort of where we are today. You wrote a book a few years ago, Rooted in Grace. Talk to me a little bit about where that book title came from and why to you, grace is such a hard hard place for people to find, but such an incredible place for people to find. That's right. That word grace, a lot of times it's misunderstood. People think of someone's name or a quick prayer before a meal or the most popular song in America spiritually is amazing grace, but not everyone knows what it means. And it really means a gift, an undeserved gift. And receiving gifts can be difficult because we have pride or we're stubborn, but really uh, in a relationship, let's say with God, it's not all about the striving and performing. It's really about the relationship and the receiving first. And grace is a word that really is relevant to everything we're saying and doing. And I think for me, there's so many options when you think of what we're going to be rooted in. Now, it's easy during the day to be rooted in fear or rooted in selfishness. You know, you can be 
rooted in uh, worry, stress, despair. Uh, there's so many things you can be rooted in. When you talk about being rooted, that's really the depth. It's yep. not just looking at our actions or our reactions on the outside, but there's a deeper story. And I think there's an outside story and there's an inside story. So when you talk about rooted, that's going deep. What's happening on the inside story, because that's the most important. That's where it all starts in your heart, your mind, your soul. And where are you rooted? And there's such a shift when you can be rooted in grace versus rooted in the world system or performance and some of the traps that are yep. easy to go into. So it's kind of countercultural. It's kind of counterintuitive to make that shift. But I think it's one of the healthiest things we can do, whether it's a marriage, a business, whether it's uh, in solitude, where are you rooted and are you really receiving grace well? You know, it's interesting because somebody would make the assumption, Jesse, that man, to write a book like that, you must have grown up going to church, being spoon fed the Bible. You probably started this at an early age, but that wasn't your story at all, was it? No, it wasn't. My mother grew up and had very negative experiences. My father did as well. Spiritually, we have kind of Baskin Robbins 31 flavors. <laughs> I mean, we have... Uh, atheist, agnostic, Catholic, Jewish, I mean, the full range. And personally, I never then went to church, never read the Bible, didn't know about Jesus, because they really wanted to shield me from some of the negative experiences they've had. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Maybe you've had a taste of faith or religion or church, and you knew something was off. You know, right now I'm in Seattle, where there's the second most de-churched people in the nation. And that's a result of people trying something and then seeing hypocrisy, seeing that it's dead and it's not fulfilling. And so they're going to head off and kind of check out their own stuff on their own time. And for me, it wasn't, grace was not on my radar. And I'm a doer. Uh, my main things were, how can I do better in school? You know, how can I do well with sports? And then do well, I guess, with friends would be the third component. And I thought those are the three big things in life. You know, my academics, my athletics, my friendships, of course, family as well. But uh, with those, I need to do better. What can I constantly learn, apply, grow, train to get better grades, to win more championships, you know, to have good friendships? And that was my focus. And it's okay to be a doer. A lot of us are wired that way, but then it makes it easy to find our identity and value and worth in what we're doing. And ultimately, that's not healthy. And then what we're doing can't meet our deepest needs. Mm. So we realize as life goes on, right, there's got to be more to the picture than me. And I'll tell you a humbling place to be is when you try to climb the ladder and you put all your time and energy into that. And then you realize you're climbing up the wrong ladder That's or right. that this ladder can't really satisfy. And so what is the balance? You know, we're human beings, not doings. And that just tells you we're built for relationship. The relationships we have, I believe, determine the quality of your life, the quality of relationships and the quality of your life. They're directly uh, in alignment. And so it starts with a relationship. It starts with receiving. It starts with grace. And we really know, I think, in a profound way that there's no way this world is here by accident. You know, around Seattle, you see the beauty of creation and, and everyone enjoys, especially this time of year. And with that, you say, all right, there is a creator. There uh, is a creator who has power in his presence. And this is part of the evidence. We just had a faith and family night, Seattle Sounders, first time they've ever done it. And I said, look around at the stadium. 
I said, you look at the stadium, you know, this was not here by accident. The wind didn't just blow the stadium into existence. And when you look around creation, you look at even the orbits and the planets and the galaxies, you say, there's a creator. And then the deepest way I'm going to be fulfilled in life is to connect with, have peace with my creator and enjoy that relationship and, and start to live in his strength and power and glorify him. And that happens through grace. It's not an earning or performing. It's not like God looks down and says, all right, let's see, do I have any 99s out there? Do I have any 98s? Okay, you'll, at least you got to be a 97 before I'm going to listen to you. And, and that mindset is, is a trap. And so grace is a reset. And it shifts our paradigm. And uh, for me growing up, had no clue until I got to college, really. That's so great. And you were an avid sports guy in high school. I know you played three sports, loved basketball, but really had a talent in the soccer area. And that took you to Dartmouth, correct? That's right. Yeah. Sometimes in life, your passion isn't necessarily where you're most gifted. And for me, you know, I, it would be pro basketball if I have my choice. But when, when you don't have the hops and the quicks, yep. you just aren't going to make it too far past division one, at least, you know, and I thought, well, I could make division three, but with soccer, there was an opportunity and an open door. And so I did go to Dartmouth, uh, which was, you know, great academically soccer. Uh, well, we won two, two state championships in high school. It was the Metrodome. Uh, back in Minnesota, you know, 6,000 fans. I was so nervous and scared wow. my junior year that I had a terrible game, but we still won. And then my senior year, there was a lot of lessons about overcoming fear. And I just knew, I was like, I want this. I want this game. I want the ball instead of trying to be scared of it. And, and that made a difference. Uh, we, we won that. And that game kind of propelled me towards Division One at Dartmouth, where I had a coach, Bobby Clark, who was well-known internationally as a goalkeeper in Scotland. He's coached uh, for so many years in, in New Zealand, Scotland, America. He won a national championship with Notre Dame. Uh, so incredible program. It felt like a professional soccer team, but also great relationships. We won the Ivy League my freshman year, my junior year. We made it to the final eight NCAA Division One. Lost to uh, Rutgers, Alexi Lawless who's on ESPN all the time is an analyst. We lost to him. So wow. now I've got to watch him on TV all the <laughs> That's time. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I finally forgave him, you know, about a month ago for beating us. So it took a while, but uh, we had a great run and played overseas uh, as well. But what happened spiritually for me during college is I took a class introduction to world religions mm -hmm. and I wasn't seeking God. I just was taking a class and they assigned a lot of different texts and I read the Bible for the first time. Professor wasn't a Christian, wasn't really promoting the Bible. If anything, probably undermining scripture. Yeah. But the word of God is powerful. And I read the Gospel of John for the first time. And I thought, this is different than any other book that I've ever read. And then Jesus is different. I have just never looked at a life where there's this much love. There's miracles, the wisdom in the teaching, and then these promises of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Like, this is bold. Like, and, and saying this is God's word. And I, anytime you've rejected something for a while, it's not easy to just embrace it. And you've got your pride and you got your history and your stubbornness and your decisions. So I took a year and I watched Christians closely because I was reading the Bible for the first time. I was also reading the Christians. And I wanted to know, is their life any different? Am I seeing anything here? 
And then I started to ask questions and I had hundreds of questions and I asked different guys. Mike was one of them. Brian's another. I'd say, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I like this. Okay. Run this by me again. You know, and we would just go through it. And that's what I was doing, kicking the tires. And after a year, you know, it's always going to be a faith decision. If you reject God or you put your trust in God, either one, it's faith. You can't take it down to the lab. You can't prove it. We're not going down scientifically to the lab and you're going to prove it. But the best things you can't prove in the lab, like love is what's prominent and primary in life. Well, you can't take love down to the lab. You see evidence, but you're not going to prove it and test it. So I looked at all the evidence. That's what I encourage anyone to do right now. If you might be listening and think, I'm not religious at all. I'm not into faith. I want to focus on leadership. You know, faith is significant for this life and beyond the life to come. I was talking to a guy this week who is facing cancer and right now pancreatic cancer and the doctors are saying his time's limited. You know, he said, I've never really considered anything beyond this life. And so we were talking through that. It's important to think through that and make your best decision by looking at the evidence. And I had to look at how is Jesus unique? How has he fulfilled all these prophecies about the Messiah to come? And then what's the evidence of the resurrection? Because if there's no resurrection, we got nothing. I mean, I'm not in, it's done. So what is the historical evidence to consider? And when all the evidence lines up and it's strong, now it just came a point where I need to bend the knee, you know, and then also um, it has to go 12 inch drop from my head and all this information to now my heart. And now Jesus is my savior. So it's not just intellectual facts, but it's personal and receive his grace. And I didn't earn it. I love the part there though, Jesse, you talked about, I watched Mike, I watched Brian, I watched and asked them questions how those friends, teammates yep. lived out their faith yep. you, didn't it? It did. It so did. And, you know, Mike was a guy in the track team. He was from small town, Tennessee, really introverted. Uh, he wasn't necessarily in the cool crowd, but I wasn't looking for somebody that had to be in the cool crowd. And, and Mike was comfortable in his own skin and he was authentic. And I could see that what he believed, he believed wholehearted. Mm-hmm. And then what he believed, he was living it out. And for me, that was compelling. And I needed to see it. And there's a lot of people who won't crack open a Bible or set foot in a church, but they will watch a Christian to see, is there something different here? And, you know, the way you live your life, people are always watching. They're always noticing. And the influence you have is far greater than what you realize, whether that's a conversation after work or how you do your work or how you treat your wife or how you handle your money or your integrity. I mean, all that is reflective of who you're really trusting, who you're following. And uh, it's powerful. Yeah. What changed most about you? So you reach this point while you're at Dartmouth, you're an incredibly good soccer player. You go on and play professionally. We'll talk about in a second. What began to change about Jesse when you said I bended the knee and yeah. I finally surrendered and gave my heart over? What began to change about you and, and yeah. the person that you were? Great question, Mike. It was small and big. You know, the small stuff was people noticed I wasn't quite burning or tearing down people or as sarcastic. I wasn't shredding people with my words. Uh, that was one thing. At parties, I was still having a great time, but I wasn't drinking. So now it's like, how come? There's sobriety and that much joy. You know, well, it's a new source of joy is what's going on. Uh, Some friendships changed, but that was, you know, part of it. Uh, Also, I would say a major thing for me was forgiving my dad because my parents got divorced when I was seven and I went to some counseling. 
I stayed, you know, bitter. Uh, there was kind of a grudge, I think, chip on my shoulder. I hadn't forgiven my dad, and I just couldn't, didn't know where to start. And when God forgave me all my sins, then I knew I'm going to forgive my dad. And and I told him, and because before I just maybe vented with him, but when I told him, and then he knew it was from the heart and sincere, and then I just said, Dad, I just want to have as good a relationship with you as we can. You know, and I know we've had many years where we weren't together, but I just want to start to rebuild this relationship. And that change right there uh, was massive. And and that came and it, and it was strong. And uh, that combination, you know, those were the things I had a joy inside of me too. Like I'm not a singer, but I had this song in my heart, just walking around campus. I just felt like I was just starting to learn those Christian songs too. I didn't know what they were in the words, but whether it was a, a song that I just learned or just kind of a joyful just a, a song metaphorically in my heart. I just had it. And I was blown away because I knew now I have eternal life That's and, right. and I've got a relationship with God and no one could ever take it away. And long-term, like I'm set and right now God's with me. And it was like, my cup's full. I had what looked like success on the outside. Uh, and you look at the parties and you look at the sports and you know the grades and everything that's going on. But on the inside, something was missing that those things couldn't fulfill, literally. And when I drank, you'd call it living water, but when I took a drink of what Jesus <laughs> has given out, it was like that place in my life has, has not um, been empty ever since. And some people said, well, it's just a fad. You'll wear off. You know, you're just a little excited right now. And it's like, no, when, when someone meets your deepest need in life, that's right. Like, you you don't that you don't take that lightly. That doesn't wear off like that is just incredible. And I'm still so grateful. I um, been through a lot in life, but um, I, I I couldn't imagine doing it without Jesus now. And uh, and He is a constant source of strength in my life too. Well, you know, you make the assumption. So Jesse isn't walking with the Lord. Has success in soccer. Jesse comes to know Christ, ends up playing professionally in Zimbabwe, Scotland. Well, then we would make the assumption, potentially, well, mm. then he probably had an amazing soccer career. He bowed out when it was his time, and he finally went to the organization and said, well, I'm ready to go and, and chase my next dream. But that's not quite how the story ended for you. It came to that's a rather right. abrupt end. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about that. Isn't it true that life is often more messy than you know, it's not when we just plan stuff out and get together and write on a piece of paper and say, well, it's going to go A, B, C, D. In fact, uh, dreams are shattered. Health uh, can come and go. I was, um, like you mentioned, I played in well, Minnesota, and now they're the Minnesota United. You know, all my friends there, they run the team, they're in the leadership. Uh, Scotland and then Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, I took a prescribed medication to prevent malaria, and it was weekly. And then after a season, it built up toxic levels in my system. And I went from professional athlete to fighting for my life for a year. And it was brutal. Uh, when you think about uh, the different symptoms, you know, massive migraines, sweats and chills, double vision, uh, the energy that's gone. But the most serious was with my heart 
and a few things. Tachycardia means a racing heartbeat. The medicine blocks the inhibitors in your heart. So my heart would start beating 160 beats a minute. It would uh, have atrial flutter, which is an abnormality, a murmur. Uh, There was just physical pain on my left side, right where my heart is. All from the medication, all from the prescribed medication. All from the prescribed medication. Not to mention crazy dreams Mm. and emotionally, everything changed. I never had panic attacks like this, panic attacks just everywhere. I never had suicidal thoughts, suicidal thoughts flooding in, depression. I never had that. Like I was pretty even keel and this took me to all sorts of crazy places. And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, identity was the big question, I think then, and I didn't see it, uh, but identity was one because my identity was in all my achievements and all my things I've done and have, but they were all in things that you can lose and that can be taken away or only for a season in life. And my identity had to shift to God's love, to God's grace. And uh, he's never going to leave me his love. No one can ever block it. And that's who I am. And I'm in his family. And that wasn't one piece was identity. The other one was coping because my, um, in life, my approach was tenacity, perseverance. Like you grit your teeth. I didn't cry a lot. Uh, you just try harder, improve and you battle through it. Well, nothing was in my control in this recovery. And there was nothing I could just go do and perform on the soccer field or grades or job. Or so right now it's like, I need a new coping mechanism. And that's when I learned how to open my heart up. And I learned that God wants to come in where there's pain, where there's chaos, where there's disappointment, where there's uncertainty. And he wants to be with me there, not just in the things that I'm doing really well. And then how do I even put words on it? How do I mourn? How do I give him burdens? Mm. So I'm not crushed emotionally. Like how could he carry this for me? And these were just all new learning as I'm going in the middle of this tragedy. And the other thing that made me is really grateful. I realized if I'm ever in my right mind again, if I'm ever physically strong, if I'm able to help anybody, uh, if I have any abilities that emerge or my life is rebuilt, this will be the grace of God because I can't do it. The doctors can't do it. The doctors don't have answers. And because it's a massive um, side effects of the drug, there's no guarantees of any recovery. And some people died. Some people took their lives. Some people vegetative state. Some people didn't recover. And so there's no guarantees. There's no one that can help. And I've got to just look to God, you know, of course, family and friends are big. And then I didn't know what I was going to do in life. I did not see ministry coming. Mm. Uh, I didn't know I had gifts in that area. And, and I just started to, you know, after a year, I, I was writing down 10 things I'm thankful for each day, just so my mind wouldn't be in the ditch. I was starting to memorize the Bible. So I'd have some good thoughts in my mind instead of all the fears and worries. And then I would start to chart. Okay. After a couple months, now I can walk 10 minutes. Now I can walk 15, just so I could see some progress over the months because it felt like there's no progress. And and that was something tangible. And then after about a year, I was able to just start volunteering in a church in a small role. And I had a mentor and a lot of times I think, And some people shift careers. Uh, Some people do it gradually, but you find an area, you start to volunteer, get a mentor, you see if there's gifts, you see how people respond, you see if there's a passion, and then you build on it a little more, a few more hours. It can become part-time work, you know, and then going back to school for me was a chance to learn the Bible. But even though I knew 
junior high wasn't going to be the spot. Middle school wasn't the spot. I, I could tell there's something here and I needed to continue to go down this road. Uh, one other thing I'll mention that, that was probably a lifesaver. Uh, when I came back from Africa, you're supposed to keep taking the drug for another month. And we had to pay out of pocket, go to Stanford. And at Stanford, there was a physician there who said, this is one of 10 things. One of them is side effects of the drug. And when he said that, like it sank in my spirit, this, this is it. This is exactly what's going on. Now, all my physicians, though, locally, and even friends, family said, keep taking the drug because you can't get malaria on top of this. But I said, I'm not taking it. I just know from God, I'm not supposed to take it. And uh, that, that went against the advice. But we had my blood tested, sent to Center of Disease Control, and it came back weeks later showing toxicity and toxic levels of the drug. So that decision to not take it for wow. another month really probably saved my life. And, uh, and it was one that I just had to listen to God and just make it boldly. And that's why I say being tuned in to God, because we need wisdom beyond our own that's thinking. Right. And sometimes lives are on the line and, and it's so important. We just don't do what everyone tells us to do or just um, go an automatic pilot through life, but just keep checking in with God and say, all right, what, what's the best, what's the wisdom here in this situation? How, so, how dark did that season get for you, Jesse? Did it, was it something you said, oh yeah, I had some tough moments or did you enter into dark places you never dreamed you would be? Yeah, I would say the darkest places emotionally were anxiety and depression that I had never tasted and overwhelming amounts. Uh, I would say the darkest place spiritually, and and this is the irony, and this is God's um, just touch again. The time that I felt God was most distant, and it was the darkest time for me, my uncle calls me. My uncle, who is a comedian in Hollywood, who, you know, never was interested in Jesus and had this a lifelong addictions. Uh, he calls me and says, Jesse, this just happened in a hotel in Iowa. I picked up a Bible, some of those free Bibles. I read the gospel of Mark. Jesus is the king. He told me Elvis is not the king. Jesus is the <laughs> king. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, I put my trust in Jesus and he wow. is my savior. And when my uncle Dan called me and said that out of the blue, right at my darkest moment, it just reminded me and refreshed everything that I knew was true. And it was like, um, I mean, God was always there, but it was like God re-entered and, yeah. and it was like, okay, God's going to help me through this time. Whatever's ahead, God's going to help me. And I just won't forget that day. How yeah. random, how random in the same way, you know, I think back to the story of John the Baptist getting ready to be beheaded. And he sends his guys to ask, Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Jesus's response back was, John, just look around. Just yeah. look around. And you know I am. Why, yep. you, why, why are you even asking me? You know the answer and how God delivers that stuff to us right when we need yeah. it the most, doesn't he? It is so timely. It just is. And, and I love the phrase, um, there's a story of the prodigal son who runs away, and then it says he came to his senses. That's right. That's and right. I just love that phrase. It was like I came back to my senses, mm. and, and God's there. And if Dan's, you know, Dan's life changing like that, I never, I mean, it's just amazing. You don't see a lot of people put their trust in Jesus, you know, let's say in their forties and then my uncle, and then for him just to call me at my lowest point and say that, uh, it, it was amazing. Well, you've had an incredible journey and I, and I love the blend. You know, we got a lot of folks that listen in that are, that are 
professional athletes, coaches, athletic administrators, ADs that listen yeah. in. I love that blend of sports and, and, and life that you've led all these years. Now you pastor. So you throw that in. How have you noticed leadership the same through all those different places? Whether yeah. Soccer field, whether you're pastoring a church, how have you noticed leadership at play in all those venues? Yeah. Good question. Uh, you know, I would probably just add to, um, just before I dive into that, that I just want to speak hope for anybody right now where life was going one way and now it's not going that way anymore. And maybe you've been through your spouse cheated on you or bankruptcy, or you got fired from a job that you love or something didn't materialize with your career. And it's like, I just want to tell you that God can rebuild. God can heal and no mess is too big for him. Like I right. love that line. He knows the solution, you know, before the problem even came. And part of it is where he'll lead you, but part of it's what he'll do inside of you. Mm. And if you receive his love and just listen to him, he'll create something that a lot of times is far more wonderful than anything you saw coming. And and he does. He rebuilds. And and then so for me, that shift from now sports, which I thought I'd be doing into my 40s, and then maybe sports psychology or coaching, you know. Yeah. And now I find myself in a completely different realm, one I didn't grow up in. And it's like, what does leadership look like in church? And, yeah. and how does that compare to sports? And what what are the commonalities? I, I love the aspect of team. And I think collaboration is a really important word. And the longer I do it, I just can't go back to that enough partnership, collaboration, and that's the way to do it. You know, part of it honestly was a little disappointing in some ways going into the church because in athletics, there was clear goals. There were clear goals and there was this full on commitment and everybody was all in on the teams I was playing on. And, and then it was just great leadership and coaching, you know, and then to go into some church settings where we've got a lot of opinions, but we don't really have clear goals. And then, wow, the commitment levels are really, I mean, there's a lot of lukewarm commitment here and, and it's not everyone's priority and that shift. And I thought, wait a second, if we were doing this to win a championship, you know, Ivy league or professional, like if we were in for a championship there and God wasn't even really talked about, but let's give our best for this trophy. Then I thought, well, if we're serving God, wouldn't it be even, I thought experience even much more like passion, love, yeah. kindness, clarity. And, and I found that, oh, there's actually a lot of disarray and there are some intense battles. And, uh, you know, so it was a reality check pretty early on. Uh, I would say that, I don't know, in some ways I'm kind of a simple guy, but then I like the complexities and I, I think it's a both and I, I do think it's important to understand people, culture, to, to understand some of the intricacies of what we're doing and why we're doing it and hone in, in on those things and technologies. So incredible too. And there's so much opportunity there, but as much as you want to study those things and look into those things, you're always going to come back to love. That's right. And relationships. And no matter how much you study or an expert on those things, you're always going to come back to love, love people well. And you're just not going to go deeper than obedience and trusting the Lord. And you're not going to get higher than loving other people. And, you know, um, Tommy Nelson one time was speaking in our 
it was in our chapel and it was at seminary. And he just said, you know, just looking around this chapel right now, even though everyone's trained to be a pastor, you took a look around and you know that there's a lot of people sitting in here that don't have a cut dog chance of making it in ministry. <laughs> and, and I think he was just calling out yep. the pride, the lack of love, you know, yep. and, uh, and it's just not a formula. You've got to have some flow. I mean, you can take all the seminary you want. You can study the Bible constantly, and those are good things. But when you get in there, it's going to be reliance on the Lord. It's going to be teachability, a humble spirit, and then uh, your ability to collaborate with other people well. And, you know, I, I love as a goalkeeper, I could see the other 10 positions. And I was always talking and coaching. And I feel like it's a little similar with um, soccer, moving over to ministry, where I want to see people's gifts. I want to know who they are, what their passions are. And rather than just fill them into slots, I, I want them to spread their wings. And, and, I, and that's when everything's going to be working the best yeah. too. And so I love seeing people in the right spots. I, I love that coordination aspect to it. And then just knowing that we're doing something so significant and ultimately, you know, now it's not so much about soccer goalkeeping saves, but it, it's, it's the big saves. I mean, That's right. it's, That's right. it's the eternal stuff. And so, I mean, I love winning and I'm competitive, but when you talk about a miracle of seeing someone go from rejecting God to now, like going to spend an eternity with God and you get to witness that change. Then you start to see their marriage healed and you start to see the joy they have on their face. Oh. And, I mean, it just doesn't get any better. So I, I, I would have never seen myself here, but it's kind of simple in this regard. Um, when we have an appliance at home, it doesn't work. What do we do? I'm not a great handyman, but I, we can pull out a book or call the maker and who's yep. the maker of the appliance and he knows how it's wired. And you're not more spiritual if you're in the mission field overseas. You're not more spiritual if you're a pastor. You're not more spiritual if you're a business person. Yep. Uh, there's no like A team and B team here, like all living for Jesus. And don't try to, I say, fit into Saul's armor. David was going to take on Goliath and they just yep. gave him Saul's armor because he's a previous king. And, and he put it on. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. It's logical, but I can't go against Goliath with Saul's armor. And so it's good to have mentors, but don't, you're unique. God's going to put you unique field, uh, style, personality, opportunities, and just uh, receive that. And and then just flourish in that. And when I get to see people now in our church serving in the community, you know, and some want to work with kids in the community who don't have parents, you know, others want to work in a medical clinic, other people in the marketplace, they're doing tremendous stuff, like, uh, and lives are being changed. And for others, it's on staff here. And when I just see the places we live, work, learn, or play, and a passion for me is faith's not compartmentalized yep. to just one hour, one place. And it's not just the holy man or the holy staff, but it's all of us together. It's every day, not just Sunday. And that starts to break out. Uh, now, what means the most to you in the deepest place is also uh, it's how you do everything in your life. And that alignment, I think, is when we're most alive and fulfilled. And, and just like I see uh, our teams would reach their potential, I love to see um, off the field people yep. reach their potential. Uh, and and that's, that's so fulfilling. You know, I, and I love what you do, Jesse, because you're not only in your lane and pastoring a church and pouring into your people, but you've got a great podcast. And you have really found a new area that's a unique place that a lot of pastors 
or a lot of people even will be super afraid to go mm-hmm. where you challenge people about exploring their faith. Tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing with your podcast and we'll have a link to it in the show notes, but tell about a little bit of the heart behind it. Okay. Yeah. I, for about four years had a radio show and podcast where I would only bring on Christian guests and we would talk about faith and ways they're living out their faith. And I enjoyed that. But then I reached a point where I thought, okay, I don't see a lot of content where there's interactions. And sometimes what I see with Christians is they are intimidated or they're isolated, or they're bitter and angry at people who aren't following Jesus and the culture and so forth. And I look at what Jesus says, our identity, we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And so let's live that out. And Jesus was a friend of those people and had great conversations. And I thought, okay, I want to have some conversations with people who see the world differently, believe differently, and let's talk about faith. And so you know, one person was a friendly atheist who's, you know, again, pretty undermining of the things that are most dear in my life. Uh, there's others who maybe are bent a little more new age or um, Jewish and, and also Christians. And just to be able to have conversations that are respectful, but also have the opportunity to share about Jesus and maybe right. tear down some misperceptions because we all have a view of Jesus. And I love one thing that helped me a lot with C.S. Lewis said this, uh, anytime someone claims to be the Messiah or God's son, the savior of the world, now you can't just say they're a prophet or a good teacher or a nice guy. Uh, you've got to have three categories. They're either a lunatic, they're crazy, they're lying because they know they're not the savior, but they're pretending to be or they are. And that helped me early on to say, okay, who is Jesus? I can't just keep him in this. That's not an option just to keep him in this box of hmm, nice religious leader. He's one of these three. And there's a lot of ways I think you can come alongside people and just help them think about and maybe even remove some stereotypes. Uh, Maybe they've only had experiences with Christians who are like angry, harsh, judgmental. And all of a sudden they get a taste of something different. And, uh, and whatever that is, uh, it's a step of faith for me. You know, I probably sweat a little more on those podcasts. Yeah, yeah. My heart beats a little faster. I don't know where it's going. It feels a little more out of control, but, but I genuinely during the week enjoy talking with people about faith and, uh, starting up conversations. And I think, um, I've, I've got the best news in the world. I just can't contain it, you know? And, I wake up every day just excited. My staff says, don't even drink coffee. You've already got enough energy and vision and we don't need more vision, you know? So uh, I I like it when people are real. We can go deep. We're going to be respectful. But let's talk about stuff that really matters. And I don't have to, I wouldn't pressure anybody. I can't force anybody. I mean, if I could save people myself, I would just run around my family and save everybody. But uh in reality, uh, all you do is just be faithful, humbly share, and trust God with the results. It's it's God who's going to change hearts. We can't do that, and uh, and so that's been it's been fun for me. And in Seattle, you know, we've got almost two million people who don't follow Jesus. And so one pastor joked that you know the it's it's stocked the the fishing pond is stocked here. Like you don't have to, you know, think, Oh, maybe there's someone out there I could talk to and I'm going to be hard to find. Like it's, it's about 4% in a lot of areas that are going to church in neighborhoods. And, and so it's just a different part of the country. And, but I love being here and I love uh, having opportunities to help people reconsider 
faith in Jesus and the evidence uh, for what we believe. It's not a blind faith. One day when you, when we get done with this world, when this, when this game's over, this period's ended and we're standing in front of the Lord and you eyeball to eyeball him, Mm -hmm. what will you say to him about the grace he gave you? Mm -hmm. You go from the kid who showed up at Dartmouth that was just going there to play soccer yeah. The man now that that isn't pleased if he can if he contains his faith, but he wants to let it out. Mm-hmm. What, will you, mm-hmm. what will you say to him about his grace? Ooh, that's a that's a powerful image right there. And to enter into that, uh what that's one of the reasons I want to share my faith as widely as possible because it's the one thing I won't be doing in heaven. Mm. You know, there'll there'll be prayer in heaven, we'll have God's word in heaven, we'll have people we love, we'll have Jesus. But I know for such a time as this, for such a purpose, and God gives everyone a platform. And I mean, do it your style. But I don't think we're going to look back at that moment and say, oh, I'm really bummed. I went the extra mile and risked it. My reputation got hurt and, you know, risk in relationships. And I'm really disappointed that I shared with that extra thousand people with my coworker, my neighbor. You know, right now, 8% of people know their neighbors well in our country. Like we just... We're, we're kind of running solo. But, but going back to that moment, I think um, I, I would just think even though I'm not a crier, there'd be a lot of tears of gratitude, like whatever the deepest expression of gratitude would be. Uh, that's, I think, the place I'm going to be. And I think blown away, too, because, you know, there's a lot of things in life that have a big reputation or a lot of hype. And then you get there and you're like, oh, that's not quite as good as uh, people kind of made it out to be. And I think heaven's going to be the complete opposite of that. Like we we have some image of what it's going to be and some pictures in our minds, but I it just blows my mind literally when I think of like, okay, a couple million years right. down the road. Well, we're not even really getting started. Like that. that's just, I mean, that's barely the prelude, you know? And, and then billions, like- this is for eternity. And, and it's again, relationship. Uh, so I think, um, I'm going to be eager to look around and see who's there. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll be hopeful that the people I'm sharing with are going to be there too. Uh, but, uh, for Jesus himself, um, I, I anticipate I'll have a better singing voice in heaven. <laughs> There's some work to be done right there. You There's know? probably a lot of people that want the same thing for you. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> I sang in the choir once, only once, and the guy next to me turned to me and said, uh, could you not sing so loud? You're really throwing me off. <laughs> That's so good. And so I don't think I'm going to be just singing in the shower in heaven. I think I'm going to have a voice that can just bring some praise. Yeah. Bring some praise. Thank you so much, Jesse, for sitting down, sharing your story, sharing your passion, sharing your heart. And most of all, thanks for leading. Thanks for being somebody that stood up, stood out, and made a difference for Jesus. You are changing the story of a lot of people, Jesse. Thank you so much. Man, I hope you enjoyed that. I know I sure did. Well, our next episode, episode 95, as we get ready to wrap up 2020, is going to be a fun one. Episode 95 finds us sitting down with Nancy Grace. You may remember Nancy from HLN. You may remember her from uh, her time on Court TV. 
as she hosted Cochran and Grace with Johnny Cochran, the famous legal defense attorney. You may know her from her novels that she has written, The Haley Dean Mysteries, or The Oxygen Channel, where you find her new show, Injustice. Or maybe, just maybe, you've seen Nancy on Good Morning America, Dateline, or one of the many other shows that she's been on. You might tune into her podcast, Crime Online, or hear her on Fox Nation, or on her Sirius channel. But what you may not know about Nancy is her story of faith and her story to get where she is today. It is going to be fascinating to listen to her unpack how she got to where she is. Well, until we meet again, if you've enjoyed this episode, please go and leave a review on iTunes. Let us know that you listen. Man, also, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast app is so you make sure not to miss an episode. Thanks again for coming in today. Now, my prayer for you, go out and live what you believe and lead for Jesus wherever you are. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 